Welcome back to Puzzles of Potter. We're diving right back into Chapter 7, The Bogart in the Wardrobe. All right, and we're starting off right with an update on Malfoy. If you, if you recall, in the last chapter, he got scratched by Buckbeat. Rightfully earned, he was being a jerk. We all know he's perfectly well-heeled, but it talks about how he didn't appear in classes until late Thursday's arms all bandaged up, and he's just going, oh, poor me. I'm so hurt. And what an insult to Madame Pomfrey. I know. Like, she regrew bones in Harry's arm. She fixed Neville's wrist in, like, two shakes of her hand. But you think she can't heal scratches on your arm from an animal that's not poisonous? Like, what is happening? Madame Pomfrey is queen. Yes. <sighs> Stopping me to Madame Pomfrey. Right? And the fact that, like, Pansy Parkinson just completely buying into it, like, oh, is it okay? Like, ooh. Like, But I also feel like Adam Pomfrey picks anything at that point. Do you go to her for everything? Like, I'd be like, I have a pretty bad bruise, or I have a really significant sunburn, or like, you know? I feel like it depends on, like, how much pain you're in. Like, if it's, like, a really bad sunburn and, like, it hurts to move, I'd go to Madame Pomfrey for that. Yeah. If it's, like, a bad, like, if, the, like, it's a bad bruise in, like, a big enough spot, like, in an awful spot, I'd probably go to Madame Pomfrey for that. Yep. Um, I th- yeah, I think it would just depend on, like, how much it's hurting <laughs> or, like, bothering you. If it's just something, like, it's more of a, like, an annoying, like, a paper cut. Yeah. Like, it's annoying. But you probably forget about it by the time you get to Madame Pomfrey. Exactly. <laughs> Until you use hand sanitizer. True. <laughs> also, like, I know they have sinks in Harry Potter, but I feel like there should be a spell for that. Like, whoosh! <laughs> you would think. But. Yeah. <laughs> so, then, Malfoy plots out his evil villainous plan right away. Where he's not like, I don't think he'll be a professor for much longer. Which, rude. Like, what? He had a really interesting class. And a, a really cool class. And you're just like, let's get him fired. What is it? Right? I know that it's, like, probably about blood purity and about his, like, whatever. But, like, in this book, Malfoy has, like, a vendetta against teachers. All teachers except Snape. But yeah. that's more because Snape is also awful. Because we're also going to talk about how terrible Malfoy is to Lupin for no reason. For no reason. Yeah. No, and, like, as I was going through this, like, because he's in there, like, wait till my, like, my dad is going to, like, this, he's got pull here and here and here. I'm like, how does he still have so much power? How does Lucius Malfoy still have so much power? We know from the last book he was fired from being, he like, he's no longer a school governor. Like, I know um, he works in the ministry, I believe. I don't know what he, he does. He doesn't work in the ministry. He doesn't work in the ministry. I he just wrong. donates a lot of money to the ministry. Well, shoot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, all other politicians. You just buy them. Fair enough. <laughs> or threaten them. Threaten them and buy them. Together, you can do whatever you want, apparently. Apparently. Some things aren't different in the wizarding world. Yeah. No, I fi- I like I figured that, but like I also thought for some- I also thought he worked in the ministry for some reason because I thought he were like you're probably thinking about the book where Harry has to go to a stand trial. Yeah. And he's in the basement of the ministry. Yes. But he's just down there to talk to talk to the minister mm. of magic. But really we think he put an imperious curse on the um 
member of the Order of the Phoenix who is down there guarding the door to the place that's mysterious. The, yeah, the yes, the orb place. <laughs> yeah, the I forget. Department of Mysteries. <laughs> I was halfway there with Mysterious, I guess. I don't know how my, like, floating square hand (laughs) helped me come up with that, but... I don't know either. But, no, I mean, you make a fair point, but I'm just like, my gosh. Like, this is too much power for someone to have. Like, this is ridiculous. Yup. And then, Love was all like, I need them to... Cut my roots and right? my shrivel fig. And yeah. I don't know what a shrivel fig is. I have no but idea. But I wouldn't want to skin one. Me neither. Because it's all shriveled. So it's got to be hard to, like, get the skin off. Or maybe it's kind of like fruit. Where, like, once you, like, kind of cut into it, like, it kind of pops up. Maybe. But, I mean, like, it's, it does say that Harry has to take kind of, like, care. So, like. No, he just, like. Oh, yeah. I mean, you guess he did it as. He skinned it as fast as he could. I think about it like peeling oranges, you know? You do it as fast as you can, but it's still kind of tedious. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. But yeah. So anyway, yeah, Harry and Ron have to help him out because Malfoy conveniently placed himself there so that they would. All the while, like, smirking and, like, laughing at them. Also, I want to know what they're supposed to be doing with these caterpillars. Because it talks about how Harry accidentally cut their head off, but he's slicing the caterpillars. So, like... Maybe he was supposed to slice them the other the long way. And then maybe it was a diagonal cut, maybe? I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> uh, and then Snape goes all mean teacher on Neville for no freaking reason. Like, there's no reason he's this mean to Longbottom. Like, I know the theory is he's so mean to him because if the Dark Lord thought he was the chosen one and not Harry, Lily would still be alive. But you know what? She'd still be married to Harry's dad. Right. It wasn't going to help Snape out in any way. And he's, yeah, it's just kind of over the top. Because, I mean, like, yeah, he kind of messed up. But at the same time, it's just like, I, didn't you hear me when I said just this? And I'm like, how many times did you say it, though? If you said it once and then you were done, it's a miracle anybody's making that potion correctly. (laughs) Yeah. And usually he puts his instructions on the board. Yeah. But, like, maybe Neville needs glasses. Maybe. (sighs) Also, who can read or think straight when you're literally afraid for your life? Right? Right? So, and also, I would just like to point out the fact that Hermione is able to help him put it right. She didn't put any of the ingredients in his potion. She just gave him the instructions. Mm -hmm. Meaning that Neville is a good student. Neville can follow instructions. Neville could be good at potions if you weren't a terrifying monster. More on that later, though. <laughs> uh-huh. Um. But, so, yeah. So, Hermione's kind of, like, moving to help Neville because Snape has threatened to uh, feed, the po- feed his potion to Neville's toad. Because he thinks, because, I don't know, he thinks that's somehow going to cement in how to properly do a potion? I don't know. When he's already messed it up and it would probably already harm the frog. Whatever. Anyways, they kind of, like, Harry and Ron kind of have this kind of side conversation about Sirius Black. And Malfoy's being so mean, he's pointing out the fact that he knows something. He knows something. And the thing I think is really interesting about this is 
he is indicating that he knows that Snape betrayed his parents. That's serious. He is indicating <laughs> that he knows that Sirius betrayed Harry's parents. Right. But the thing that is most interesting to me about it is that Harry later assumes that he knows this because Lucius Malfoy was in the inner circle. But... But we know that's not true. If Yeah, if Lucius Malfoy knew about it due to the inner circle, he would have known that Peter Pettigrew was really the secret keeper. He knows mm-hmm. about this through his... Ministry connections. Yeah. Which is even more crazy to me. Because the time that this was happening was right after Harry's parents died. And right so mm-hmm. right so Malfoy claimed that he was under the Imperious curse. Mm-hmm. So he was like, Yeah, I did lots of bad Death Eater things, but I was under the Imperious curse. Mm-hmm. Which means that you're susceptible to the Imperious curse, and I trust you a little bit less. But I'm still going to tell you all of this sensitive information that isn't known by most about the notorious mass murderer Sirius Black. Yeah. I know. I was reading that. I'm like, I had so many questions because I'm just like, how does Malfoy know? How would Lucius know? Like, how do they know? (laughs) Unless he's like referring to something else and like, it's like a, I don't know. If it was me, I'd want revenge. I'd hunt him down myself. Yeah, it's like, it just, the way it reads, reads like he knows, because I'm just like, all right, well, if it's just like, oh, he knows, like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, sketchy. So sketchy, because it, like, it's also, it's not common knowledge, because like, in, in later chapters, they discuss about, they discuss it, and they're just like, no one really knows, like. And the other thing that makes it triply interesting is that this means that somebody, some Death Eaters know that it wasn't Sirius Black who betrayed their parents. Mm-hmm. Because they, at the end of the book, they talk about how Peter Pettigrew went into hiding because he was afraid of the Death Eaters who knew that he was the one who led the Dark Lord to the Potter's house that night. Mm-hmm. And those Death Eaters would want them, want him to get in trouble. Right. So, the fact, what makes it more interesting is, like, the Death Eaters that we know are incarcerated. Bellatrix. Bella's husband. Mm-hmm. Um... I know there's ten of them, but those are the only notable ones, realistically. Right. That would mean that Bellatrix knew about Wormtail, mm-hmm. but Lucius didn't. Yeah. Or... Unless Bellatrix was the one who told, like, who sat there and, like, well, but, no, no, that doesn't make sense, because then he wouldn't know about, like, it wouldn't be the serious Black thing, it'd be the P.D. Pettigrew thing. Huh? Hmm. So, unless... Lucius Malfoy did know and just told his son the party line. But that seems incredibly unlikely to me. Right. It's more likely that Malfoy was present during some ministry discussion where the ministry told Lucius about it. Uh Uh-huh. Which makes it, like, either way, like, Malfoy shouldn't have this knowledge. Absolutely. Ugh. So, moving on, Snape gets to be a jerk face, and he puts the potion on the toad, and he beca- and then Trevor becomes a tadpole. Congratulations, Hermione, you're a good teacher. Right? And then they have this weird interaction. After Snape's a jerk and takes a bunch of points away from Gryffindor. Mm-hmm. Um, five. It's five points. It's five points. Um, Hermione is back down at the bottom of the stairs. 
mm-hmm. which I think is fascinating. Because that either means she didn't actually start to walk up the stairs with them, and the boys are not very observant. Right. Which is valid. Um, or there's inconsistency in the story around how the time turners work. Because she wouldn't just, like, time turn it in the middle of the staircase. Right. People would be able to see. Yep. So they must be unobservant or inconsistencies in how this all works. Because she wouldn't just vanish because... Right. You know, she's somewhere else now. Like, that's not the purpose of the time turn. Right. And, like, from later on, we know that they have to be at the spot where they, like, they left. Uh-huh. So, like, she have would have had to sneak their way past them. Uh-huh. To get back to the bottom of the stairs. Mm-hmm. Unless she was already coming from the dungeon. I don't know. Because, <laughs> I mean, it does say that, like, they climbed the steps to the entrance hall. Like, all three of them. Yep. So... I feel like it's more inconsistencies on how the time turner actually works. Yep. <laughs> Makes sense why she blew them all up. Yeah. <laughs> but. Then they move on. Yes. They kind of move on. And, um, well, I guess, like, I think I liked how Ron kind of is just, like, you get the feeling Hermione's not telling it. Like, this, like, he's so confused by this. Harry is just kind of just, like, Dismissed eh. it as like, oh, that's just Hermione. But Harry, that but Ron is like super into all the inconsistencies. She's carrying a bunch of books for a bunch of classes she doesn't have. She isn't answering any of our questions, so he's super attuned to it. But our hair, our narrator is from Harry's perspective ish, because it's uh something something omnipotent. It's like third person, third person on omnipotent. Um, yeah, it's. There is a narrator, but it's more focused on Harry than yeah. others. So, we're essentially watching this whole thing from over Harry's shoulder. Yep. And Harry's just like, I give no shits about her <laughs> and her weird things. Yep. <sighs> so then, so then we get to the de- like the defense against the dark arts lesson, and I have my note here is just like, it kind of, I got sad by a sentence, because it's like, he greets him, he's like, put your books away, we're going to have a practical lesson today. And there's a line. They had never had a practical defense against the dark arts before, unless you counted the memorable class last year when their old teacher had brought a cage full of pixies to class and set them loose. Like, these poor children. Yep. Like, this whole class is about learning to defend themselves against the dark arts, which means lots of practical, like, should be lots of pra- like practical, practical use. Uh-huh. Like, transfiguration, tra- all of the classes have practical uses in them. But they have never had a practical class, and probably one of the like more like important, <laughs> which I think is really interesting because when we get to book five with Umbridge, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if that was a voluntary noise or not, but I love it. Um, when we get to that book with Umbridge, it's made a big deal that there's no practical defense against the dark arts. But we're on the third book, and this is their second practical lesson. Right. So. Fascinating. Yep. So then he takes them out of the classroom, and we get this really awesome interaction between him and Peeves, which I think is so much richer when you understand the history of who Lupin was Mm -hmm. and how this interact, how Peeves would have been with them. Right. Because Peeves probably sees Lupin as, like, the older version of Fred and George. Right. 
that that mischievous kid, like mis- one of the kids in that mischievous group of <sighs> yeah. But now he's like a teacher, so I'm sure there's this like weird, growing, awkward pains of this relationship. Mm-hmm. But like he also, it's, it feels like a way for Lupin to say, "Hey, I'm still kind of a sassy kid, but like I'm also a teacher now." So like, <laughs> fine line, buddy. Fine, fine line, fine line. <laughs> And I mean, like, he takes everything in stride, like, because, like, Peeves is just kind of, like, taunting him a little bit. Uh-huh. Like, he just casts a spell and, like, shoots Peeves off. Like, <laughs> he shoots chewing gum right up his left nostril. Yep. <laughs> With probably the coolest spell. Um, I can't pronounce it, but mm-hmm. I love... Wadi Wasi. <laughs> Wadi Wasi. I love when it's pronounced in the audiobook, and I, like, giggle a little bit every time. I was actually listening to this chapter, and I was listening to it while I was, like, putting the kids down for a nap time. So I had one hand on one kid and one hand on another kid, and they were both, like, almost asleep. So I was, like, trying not to laugh out loud this time. <laughs> I succeeded. I didn't rewake any of the children. Nice. Win. <laughs> um, so, woo! <laughs> Anyway, so, like, he gets Peeves to go away, and then they go to the staff room, because he's, as um, Lupin explains, that there's a Bogart uh-huh. that's in the classroom that they're going to practice on. But who should they run into but Snape? And I have to read this quote, because I'm about to get lit. <laughs> Possibly no one's warned you, Lupin, but this class contains Neville Longbottom. I would advise you not to entrust him with anything difficult, not unless Miss Granger is hissing instructions in his ear. One, it is completely unnecessary to set such a negative tone for a student in a subject that you've never taught them in. Yep. We pass information about kids all the time. Yep. But in productive ways. This kid benefits from this type of structure, this sort of intervention. We tried this and it was successful. We don't pass on negative information as teachers. Additionally, you don't pass on information in front of kids. No, never in front of kids. Like, I've sat there and passed on, like, hey, this kid's trouble. Like, you know, granted, I'm in the world of special education. So, like, I know my kids, like, the back of my hand. So, it's like, hey, they struggle with this subject and this subject. They're going to listen to you. They'll do what you want them to do. But you need to keep an eye on them because they're going to need extra help because they struggle. Like, (laughs) that's, like, exactly how I word it. They just struggle a little bit. Never in front of the kids. No. (laughs) Um, And two... Way to out yourself as a legitimately terrible teacher. You just said, hey, he's he struggles, but he can be coached by a <laughs> 13-year-old who's more capable of instructing kids than I am. Right. <laughs> so, all right, Mr. Sass Pants, you deserve what's about to come to you in the next pages. Yes. But, you know, Lupin has a wonderful response, and, like, I applaud Lupin for his, and he's just like, well, actually, I was hoping Neville was going to help me with the first stage of this. I'm sure he's going to do fine. Like, boom, shut down, Snape. <laughs> Which is awesome, because, like, it's, I shut you down real quick, but also, it does an incredible job of sh- saying I have faith in you, and look how quick-witted I am. <laughs> um, anyway, so... Now Lupin kind of goes into his explanation of what a boggart is and how they kind of, like, defeat it. Neville's very nervous. 
because Neville doesn't have the best confidence in himself either. You know, a good chunk of it due to Snape, probably. But I di- we digress. <laughs> um, and I, I want to talk about how he starts this class. Go ahead. Because I am... This is some peak teaching. Um, so he gives a little bit of information about boggarts. But he also asks questions. Like, hey, what is a boggart? Like, let's gather baseline information for kids in this class. Mm-hmm. Let's give them an opportunity to show what they know and what they don't know. And then he gives a little bit more in, in, information. This is what they like. This is what they do. And this is how they function. And therefore, let me ask you a question that doesn't involve memorizing facts, but involves critical thinking skills. So now you've engaged two different types of learning within your questions. So you can enga- you can also engage two different types of learners. He also does amazing at picking somebody other than Hermione because I think that's a trap that's really easy for teachers to fall in, like to pick on the same pick the same kids over and over again because their hand is up, mm-hmm. and like they remember that kid's name because their hand's always up. Right, and it's, and like, another part of it is because, like, they know the kid knows, so it's, like... You want to see your kids be successful. You want to see them be successful, and, like, if you've got a lot planned, you need, like, sometimes, like, time can be a thing as well, where it's just, like, I, I can't, I don't have the time to let them sit there and think about it, because we need to keep going. I know this kid's going to have the answer, like, and they'll get give me the answer quickly. <laughs> yep. And then also it takes Harry a moment to answer because he's distracted by Hermione like waving your hand up in the air. Um, but he gives Harry that time. Mhm. Wait time. Perfect teaching tool. Yes. And then he praises him for his answer, which is awesome because he does a really good job of like following that up. And, like, helping redefine and reset the expectations so that everybody knows what's happening. Mm-hmm. So, he super supports that process. Right. And even as he continues, he's just like, all right, we're going to practice without, you know, wands or anything here. Like, this is yeah. how we say it. Let's practice together. Um, and then he kind of just, like, walks Neville through. Because, like, he's like, all right, Neville, you're going to be the first one to go. Like... And he kind of, like, models the process that they need to do with Neville, which is another great teaching strategy, modeling, having a kid with their, you, as, like, a model partner so kids can see kids doing it. (laughs) Yep. Which is amazing. Mm -hmm. And then he comes up with a humorous example of how this works. Because when you add a little bit of humor in, kids are going to remember it better. Yep. Brilliant. Yep. (laughs) Yes, so... Neville goes and has the Bogart come out in the form of Snape, which is sad because, you know, a student's greatest fear is their teacher. Yeah, like, and especially when you think about what, like, the other kids are afraid of, right? Like, mummies, banshees, acrumantula. I can't put that word together. Can you, the big spider. The tarantula? No. No? The The Aragog one. Oh, I don't remember the... What they're called. The giant spider. (laughs) I'm so mad I can't pronounce that word right now, guys. I know what it is. I just can't say it. Um, So, like, these are big, big things. And I was like, I'm afraid of my teacher. Like, their fears are, like, at a comparable level. Right. But... 
One is a teacher. One is a teacher. And that's, that's so sad. Like, as a teacher, you never want a kid's greatest fear to be you. Like, you're supposed to be their safe space. Like. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. You're supposed to be somebody that cares about them and supports them and is there for them. And you don't always have to, like, be the best mesh. Mm-hmm. Because that's not how life works. But, like, you have to try. Yeah. Yeah. You have to sit there and try. You have to sit there and show them, hey, like, we might not get along the best, but I'm going to care about you and I'm going to sit there and do my best with, like, with you, no matter what. <laughs> Acromantula. Yeah. <laughs> that's the giant spider. Yeah. Can you even pronounce it long, long enough to jog your memory? Um. <laughs> uh, and yeah. I think it's really interesting that, like, this just juxtaposition happens in this chapter. Because we start the chapter with a Snape class mm-hmm. and end it with a Lupin class with a little bit of Snape sprinkled in. And I think almost as to compare the two teaching styles. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of the ways that it helps you recognize the difference between the two and also paint Snape in his shades of gray. Like, yes, this whole time he's trying to protect Harry. He's trying to do what's good and what's right for Dumbledore, but he is not a good teacher and he is not good to the kids. Yeah. And this juxtaposition of the two of them being smashed right next to each other really paints that picture. Mm-hmm. The Mugart comes out for Neville and it's Snape. And so as he's kind of going through this, like as he's, Lupin's kind of like coached him, he thinks about Lupin, or not Lupin, as Snape in Neville's grandma's clothing, which... Is always a fun. <laughs> yep. <laughs> always a fun picture. And so Neville does it, and then he kind of, like, goes through several different people in the class where, like, we talked about the mummy, the acromantula, banshees, all this other stuff. And then it kind of comes up to Harry. Because, like, Harry happens to be the one standing right in front of it at that point. Yep. And uh, we get the first hint of what's going on. With Professor R.J. Lupin. Yes, because Lupin jumps out in front of Harry before, the, like, the boggart can, like, take shape. <sighs> and they see a silvery white orb hanging in the air in front of Lupin, which I think is interesting how it's described because it's, it's an orb, whereas in the movie it was fairly clear it was a moon. Yeah, in the movie it was very clearly a moon. <laughs> so I like that it's more mysterious in this description. Yes. <sighs> And then he lets Neville finish it off. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, Neville, you've got this, dude. And then they make up all the points that Snape took away. Right? And then some. <laughs> yep. Because five points to Gryffindor for every person who tackled the Bogart. Ten for Neville because he did it twice. And five to each Harry and Hermione. Mm-hmm. And he also takes this opportunity to reaffirm that answering their questions was of value. Yeah. And it's equally as important to understand the process it is it is to, like, work on the practical knowledge of it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. And that's about the end of Chapter 7. So we wanted to get your input. We are going to be making a special episode for the one-year anniversary of our first podcast. And we wanted to get your, our listeners, input on what our special episode could be. So you can always email us, message us on Facebook, Twitter. And in case you're looking for those things, they're always in the podcast description for every episode at the bottom. 
So you can find all of the ways to contact us down there. And we love to hear from you guys. Tune in next week for Chapter 8, Flight of the Fats Lady. (laughs) Oh, I'm so excited.